Hello, hello. Thank you so much for jumping onto the Appetence Family podcast. My name is Amy. I'm the creator of Appetence Families. Now, we are here today not for a birth story, but actually for a podcast with Vicky, who is a naturally led midwife here on the sunny coast. And she is probably one of, if not the original midwife that first exposed me to Um, the world of natural midwifery as a student. And I am so, so forever grateful for meeting her. And you'll hear our little first meeting in the podcast, which I find quite hilarious. And um, yeah, we essentially chat about heaps of topics. I did keep it to just a few, but we cannot help ourselves but tangent left, right and center. So a few of the things we did talk about is some birth stories from her perspective as a midwife and some points of difference of those for her. We do talk about the clinic Fremo, which is over in Nairobi, Kenya in Africa. And she has worked over there a lot over the years, less so through COVID, but has been there since it started in 2011. And that is the clinic that Appetence Families donates to every single month, a percentage of our profits. And she also talks about a whole bunch of tips about how to birth naturally in a hospital setting and also how to have a women-centered birth in the hospital setting. She gives you a bunch of tips for both you and your partner to know on how to make that happen for you. So I really hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on the Appetence podcast, Vicky. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. It is such a delight having you on. I actually was reflecting on the first time we met. I don't know if you remember. We were at Budrum Hospital and I was a student and you were the midwife. And so, so lucky to happen to be on as a student when you were the midwife then. And you were looking after this lady and I was just floating in the background watching because I had never seen a midwife help a woman like you helped her in this particular birth and she ended up having a beautiful water birth and I still remember that they didn't find out the sex of the baby and they had their baby and they put it on their chest and I think I might have been in my second year so I was completely oblivious to anything to do with the birth world and the sacredness of it and all of that sort of stuff and I said oh my god you had a boy and you just slapped my arm like shush shush and I was like oh no and then I realized after and it was even like years after I was like I see why that lady was like telling me to shush in that moment and not not spoil that surprise by just calling it out right and oh gosh it just still makes me laugh oh yeah (laughs) hey look even I did it once myself and she'll probably listen to this podcast yes I remember that day and we still, the obstetrician and the woman and I still laugh about it and I will maintain it because the the woman's mother who had sadly passed, it was like she was speaking through me. It just didn't even feel like me. I've never done it before or since. Oh, my god! And it was the most amazing experience and so beautiful to be with her in that space. Absolutely. But we do have a bit of a giggle about it here and there. Absolutely. Sometimes things just slip out and it's just such a, it's just such a sacred place that sometimes if you, you know, just let things slip out, you really do have to think about everything before you say it, I feel, because sometimes you're like, oh, that was just so inappropriate. I hope I didn't slap you too hard. No, no, it wasn't. It was just a brush. It was like, shush, Amy, don't be silly. And I was like, oh God. (laughs) 
now, but and, and now I'll often talk to you know like students or people who are coming into the birth room. You know that this is that that sacredness of it, and extraneous conversation you know if it's not important don't say it yes so I will talk to students about coming in and how are you what are you having you know it's not your business exactly they'll tell you if they want to tell you that's such a great point keeping quiet leaving it to them and um yeah, it's such an art form though because you become and um, my dear friend Lynn Staff and I who, you know, we do workshops together about birth and we talk about being shapeshifters, you know, because as a birth uh, practitioner, one needs to be able to change shape or change form to fit the circumstances and to to become what that particular woman and her family needs. Yes. Whereas so many people, they come as themselves and the woman has to change her shape mm. to fit the, the circumstances. So that, um, you know, sometimes we'll be talking and laughing through the labour because it's what the woman has led and what suits her. Yeah. And other times it's complete silence. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, announcing the birth, no, Amy. No, Amy. <laughs> I and know. It, and it's so exciting when you see those babies who, you know, the parents have not used the technology to find out the sex. And A, mistakes are still made. Yes. B, it's such a small part of the whole being of the baby. Yeah. It kind of becomes the focus. And I, I do remember many years ago attending a home birth where they were really focused on having a boy. They had four girls. They were having a baby. They'd done all the tricks and they were uh, – hoping for a boy they hadn't had a a, um investigation to prove anything but they so the baby comes and it was all about the boy right but when the baby came that moment that you just described happened and she scooped the baby up it was a full 15 minutes before she thought to have a look interesting and I just was so stoked by that experience because it showed them you know because they thought they wanted a boy Totally. And yet what they wanted was a baby. Yes. And he happened to be a boy. Ah, oh, so good. I'm <laughs> so, so excited for them. when it happened. Yeah, they would have and, been so. Uh, and I remember another circumstance that I, I must say I nearly busted my <laughs> my fourth valve, keep it quiet. Yes. But a, a couple who had had six boys and then they were having their seventh baby and she was just convinced it was a another boy. And even after the baby was born, she was like, oh, my little Noah. <laughs> you know? Yes. And then she looked at me 10 minutes later. It took her. One of the kids actually went because they were all there. It was it was wild. <laughs> and one of the kids went, it is a boy, is it, Mum? And she of course it's a boy. We only do boys. Oh and then she God. looked at me, it is a boy, isn't it? <laughs> and I just shrugged my shoulders and then she looked. And, yes. And she hit it. She just quit. She put the blanket over it going, I don't do girls. Ah, oh, and it was a girl? It was a girl. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. How uh, interesting. It took her a while to accept. But, you know, like it's just that that transition. Yeah. It's important that they do it in their own way, at their own pace. Totally. Um, and But I, I think one of the things that I see now that really shocks me is when people have a baby and they don't look. Mm. Um, ever 
you know, like, I mean, I mean, ever's probably a strong word, but, <laughs> but they go, oh, yeah, well, we already know. Yeah. And they accept that technological explanation yeah. of their child rather than exploring the child for themselves. It's no. interesting. Yeah. yeah, you're so right. You're so right. Yeah. So I'm hearing it sounds like you did some home births and I know now you work at the hospital. So where did you start on this whole, like what, what happened before you are a midwife? I just can't mm-hmm. even imagine you before you are a midwife. <laughs> How did this come about? Well, it's probably this funny little girl and, and very little. Like I say to my mum, was I especially responsible or were parents really um, irresponsible with their kids because I was um, in grade eight and I used to babysit all the kids Ah. of the teachers at school and um, I was very tiny like I only got my first size one pair of shoe when I was in high school so I was really little and I'd look after the teachers kids and then one of them had four kids, one with a hole in the heart. I mean, we didn't have mobile phones back then, so it was like, oh, just put the oxygen on her if she goes blue. Jeez, really? So I was this kid who was trusted with babies. Um, I was also the kid who who people used to come to for advice. (laughs) Um, Other kids? Yeah, yeah. And... One particularly funny story, I was in grade 10 and this probably says how small I was too, but and and one of my friends from Papua New Guinea and we were talking about using tampons and she was like, is it okay? Will I still be a virgin? (laughs) And I'm giving her all this advice about it. And then she went, oh, how long have you been using them? And I went, oh, I haven't actually got my period yet. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, I like came down a few notches, but yeah. <laughs> it was very, very funny. But I was always kind of that girl. Yes. And, um, but I, I didn't even know nurses or midwives. I'd never yeah. met anybody. And um, except maybe one of my mum's friends, but not something that we discussed or exposed to. And I'd never been sick, so, you know, none of us had ever been in hospital or anything. But I was coming home from school one day, and I can pinpoint the spot. I was coming home from school, and it just came into my head that that's what I was going to do. Really? So I went home, and my mum was at the sink peeling vegetables, and I said to her, Mum, I've decided to go nursing, which was the first step to midwifery. Yeah. And she didn't even turn around. She just went, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> so, really? That's surprising. And, and uh, when I talked to her years later, like, why would you have said such a thing? And she said, oh, it's just that you're so emotional. We didn't think you would cope. You know? <laughs> and I'm still emotional. Yeah. I cried as recently as uh, yesterday. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, um, and you know, after attending a birth and the woman afterwards was just expressing her, see, I'm crying now, <sighs> just her joy and her gratitude and how, how just how grateful she was that I was had been there. And, and then I start crying. Yes. <laughs> and we talked about it. I have seen people who cry during, you know, and they can't do their job, they cry so much. I'm not that person. Yes. But I do often cry. Yeah. For joy. Yeah. And I and think about wrong with it that. and afterwards and 
driving home and you know, yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm Amazing. still emotional and, yes. and, and still find such beauty and power in the experience of birth. It is yeah. just, it moves me so dramatically every time. And um, come next year, I will have been doing this work for 40 years. So it's 40, 40, 40, 40. Wow. Yeah. So you became, um, you went to become a nurse after school? Yeah. 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 I and wasn't then... old enough to start because I was only 16 when I finished grade 12. So I had to wait for a year. Okay. And uh, and then I started nursing and worked as a year for a nurse and then went to into midwifery. Okay. Yeah. And how is that experience? Because so, you, did you grow up here on the coast? Mostly. Yeah. So then you did your midwifery here or in Brisbane? Probably? Uh, in Brisbane. Yeah. And you started in a hospital setting. That's correct. So what put you onto this whole natural birth path? Mm. How did you get into this? Well, I think my year of doing midwifery training, I probably saw four totally drug-free births. I saw a lot of births, but, yeah. you know, they used to give out pethidine yeah. as a routine. Epidural wasn't so common, but lots of pethidine. Yeah. Um, and I saw probably four, one who kind of came in with, head between her legs just yes. about so um but you know births that happen very quickly and then there were two women who actually sang during their labor wow. so one sung a beer ad <laughs> so it was I can feel a forex coming on <laughs> oh and as the labor gosh. progressed it was like I can feel a forex coming on and, wow. and, and then little forex was born <laughs> wow um, I think he, he is this forex is in the beer. As in the beer, oh it, was my an gosh. Ad, it was an ad for the beer at the time. Oh my god! And that's what she sang. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the baby kind of had that nickname for a little while, I think. And um, the other sang waltzing Matilda, and she started off, you know, waltzing Matilda, and in the end, it was waltzing Matilda. Yes. You know? And I saw them work through their labours come through the other side and the state of ecstasy that was reached. Whereas women after having, you know, medication, they were glad it was over. Yes. But they really didn't reach that same state of ecstasy. Yeah. So I was very pregnant um, when I finished my mid because I was still in awe of of the... um, experience I remember a good friend and I we watched our first birth together and we those days used to lean against the wall and and observe yeah and I I was awestruck by the beauty and wonder and I turned to my friend and she was on the floor going that's the most awful thing I've ever seen oh wow yeah so you know what you see it, it it depends on what eyes you're using, yes. what, you know, how you see things. and Yeah, yeah. Um, your own individual perspective. So if you have that perspective, yeah. you want to save the woman from that. You want to rescue her, You want, whereas for me, I want women to feel as I ended up feeling after I had my baby. Yeah. So 
even during my pregnancy, um, I had an obstetrician. I should have known better than to trust a, a little man in a bow tie because <laughs> 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 I was only 16 weeks pregnant and he said to me, I'm booking you in for a cesarean. Why? That's my question. Why? Why? And what was and, his response? And he said, well, you know, a little girl like you wouldn't, you know, would because <gasps> of your birth. physical size right. oh gosh That's okay right. and I said well my mum gave birth and my grandmother gave birth and my body is growing my baby it's I not growing I will as well some other chicks yeah. baby so yeah. I just dismissed it good on you and I didn't really I mean in those days you know we didn't have the internet I'd never seen a book um never heard of you know on birth other than one called what was it called Baisha something in Mackay, you know, textbook. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Which were not very um, romantic when it came to birth. And I really do see that birth can be high romance. It's, yeah. you know, it's amazing. Yeah. And, um, but what I did know is, firstly, I didn't like injections. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want... Um, Pethidine, and I wanted my baby to breathe on the other side of yeah. And when I was in labour, my the same obstetrician said to me, "Let me know when you want your epidural." And I said, uh, "I don't want an epidural." And he said, "If I ever had the great misfortune to become pregnant, I would want an epidural from conception." What a fucking muppet! So that's the attitude of you know the people yeah. who you're trusting. To support you through this process. Absolutely. Anyway, I did not have an epidural. I did not have pathidine. The birth progressed very, you know, well. And not only I gave birth myself, I experienced that feeling on the other side of, of yeah. absolute total ecstasy. Yeah. And the strength that it gave me to, to become a mother yeah. And a much better midwife. Yes. You know, and just in life in general, just one of the saddest things I've ever heard, and I've heard it often, is people going, oh, you lose all your dignity when you have a baby. Mm. And I say to midwives particularly, if women are losing their dignity, you're doing something very wrong. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say it's always glamorous or clean or, you know. Yeah. But it, women should be coming out the other side. And the feeling, act of them taking their clothes off, walking around and crawling around, whatever, that's, that's not losing your dignity. No. They shouldn't feel like that's un- no. undignifying. No. It is strength. It is yeah. power. It is totally. beauty. It is wonder, you know. Exactly. And you want to be very careful about who you choose to be with you at your birth because you want people who are going to love you through that. hundred. You know? Yeah. Not make poo jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Not be not make small talk. No, I no, hate the small talk. talk. Stop it. Yeah. No, no. Just who cares what people do for it? Like, be glad don't for you, proud of you. Yeah, uh, impressed by you. You know, yeah. and love you. Yeah, and through the process you. and out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so that choice of birth practitioner is is a powerful one. So you're. Even though your obstetrician wasn't ideal, you going through the experience, you were so determined for a normal birth. And that was purely just coming from watching um, these four women throughout your course have a drug-free birth and be so powerful and beautiful and that ecstasy feeling that was based on that. Do you know what, Amy? I mean, you make it sound much 
more um, focused than I actually was. Right. I just knew what I didn't want. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then it turned out that I had this fabulous birth. Right. Okay. Whereas now I really encourage women to have birth plans. They mm. will, you know, they're, they're often discouraged mm-hmm. by birth practitioners mm. and the community in general mm-hmm. saying, oh, you know, make a birth plan. You're only going to be disappointed. Exactly. Yeah. Bullshit. Best, yeah. yeah. I think it's bullshit. Me too. too. I get my mamas to make a plan in our birth workshop. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will challenge women. I mean, I've gone from being a home birth midwife into a midwife that works in a private hospital. Yeah. Where notoriously have, you know, very high rates of intervention. And, Absolutely. And, and, what a contrast. Um, yeah. And so the women come in and, you know, I say to them, what do you want for this birth? And they'll go, oh, I don't care. And, I, you know, I might challenge them and say, look, yeah. I've only known you for five minutes. I already know you well enough to know you do care. Yeah. Right? And we explore it further and explore don't it further. Don't be scared further. to say and often what you they're want. Going, they, I know. I, because, and it's not to say, you know, the water birth, the natural birth, the, the home birth, these are, this is not the goal. Mm. The goal is what is the best possible birth that you can have in the circumstances that arise. Completely. So if agree. you know what you want, you want and what you're aiming for, and you tell me that that is, you know, if things went perfectly, I would love to be in the water. I'd love to have no medication. Mm-hmm. We know what we're aiming for, right? Because birth is hard work. There's very few people that birth is hard work. And I said to a woman last week, you know, because she had a very quick labour and people were going, oh, how easy. And I, and I whispered in her ear and I said, even when it's easy, it's hard, isn't it? And she looked at me, tears rolling down her face and thanked me for acknowledging that because even when it's easy, it's hard. Um, and once I know where you as a woman want to go, I can I can help you I can work I can offer you alternative paths I can you know suggest things and and if all goes well I'll be just sitting in the corner and smiling but if the baby's in an awkward position which is very very common these days um you know I wonder whether the stress of modern living is causing babies because people will say I remember reading years ago a, a, a scan of a baby when a woman was smoking and the baby covered its face with its hands. And I thought, wow, it's a stress response, you know. And and women will often say, oh, the baby's got its hands up over its head, you know, or at its face. And if you've got a baby, if you, if you are listening to this and you can't see the actions, you have to imagine them because <laughs> yeah. I'm doing all the actions. As yeah. Well. <laughs> I'm an action woman. <laughs> um, but... You know, babies will, if, if the hands are under the chin or by the face, all you need is that little tilt of the head to make things more, more challenging for the birth. Mm. So if that's the case, I might be suggesting moves and grooves to help get that baby into place and down into into the birth canal and, and yeah. become born. So that's a big part of my work is getting those babies into position. And sometimes like a woman the other day, you know, she'd been, I think I was the fourth shift of midwives. Wow. Um, But 
four hours later she had a baby but so she had she was still four centimeters you know and when people you started were, people were starting to think about is she going to have a caesar is it just not happening maybe she's too you know inverted commas maybe her baby is too big for her no mm-hmm. the baby's in an awkward position mm-hmm. it needs to tuck that head under mm-hmm. um and hopefully look at your bottom yes <laughs> That's that's the easiest way to be born. So what do you, as in the baby, look at your bottom? Yes, yeah, so in that being position. Flexed. So the back fills out the woman's belly. Yeah. The head is completely flexed, chin on the chest. Yeah. And facing, yeah, facing towards the back. That's right. Yeah. So can you, while we're on that, can we tinge it into some examples of what moves you might do with mums mm-hmm. and um, maybe some cool stories about when that's worked for them? So... It might be a shimmy, so a, a from the from the thighs, just shimmy, 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 and just jiggling that baby um, yeah. down. A lot of hip movement. Maybe we'll do some little videos and put it on. Your, I think we should totally do that. Do a few videos. Yeah. I mean, one of the most amazing stories was when I was called to a home birth. Another midwife had been looking after her, and she had been fully dilated for more hours than I would like to admit right here, but she had refused to go to hospital. So they rang me kind of, can you help? And I drove out my driveway and um, it, I was almost to the end. It was a long driveway. I backed up and I yelled out to my daughter, get me the CD. Yeah. Casey and the Sunshine Band. And she went, what? I went, don't ask questions, just get me the CD. She brought it out. So I took that. That was my instinct. So I took that with me. And when I examined her, the baby was in such a shocking, you know, like I could feel an ear. This is not good. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you some moves. And if the baby doesn't come straight away, you know, my advice is you need to go to, I mean, my advice now is you need to go to hospital mm. before you, you know, but she. Simply because of the length she of had the declined. labor. So, yeah. Okay. So we did some moves. Casey and the Sunshine Band, shake that booty, you know, she yes. shook her booty and then the baby fell into position and was born. As in the mum shook her booty? Your mum shook her booty. Okay. Absolutely shook Interesting. her booty. To the music of Casey and the Sunshine Band. So, Love that. So, how cool. Um, you know, so that's as dramatic as it can get for, you know. So she the, just the jiggled shift, that ear. The shift that it can make wow. to, to to a woman's labour. Amazing. Um, but the vast majority of women should be able to birth their baby. Yeah. When, you know, nature tells us that. Yeah. You know, we have one woman, usually one baby. It takes nine months to grow it. And the baby is completely dependent on the mother afterwards. So we know nature tells us both the baby and the mother are meant to survive the process. Yes. It is not, um, you know, to think that 50% of women in a private hospital or some of them in Brisbane might be, you know, 80%. Some countries are up way over that for their cesarean section rate. Is there anyone that can believe that that is... Necessary, necessary for the survival of the species. I personally do not. No. So I found that wherever I look after women, whether it's as a, at a home birth, um, at I've worked in a birth centre, um, I, I work in a clinic in Kenya, 
and um, in the private hospital where mm. they do have very high rates, you know, the women I look after generally will birth their babies. Yes, you know? yes. And like I said, it's not a competition. Sometimes a cesarean is the absolute best way to be born. Sometimes an epidural is yeah. like hallelujah. Yes. You know, it's a beautiful thing and yeah. it can actually work. It can be the reason the woman ends up with a vaginal birth, mm. if you mm-hmm. know, in, in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it's not to reject any of those mm. things and we're very lucky to live in a society where we can access those. Mm. But um, we overuse I them. will believe absolutely that the vast majority of women are able to give birth given good support. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. How interesting. So I just want to confirm, when you say you jiggle the thighs, do you mean you've got one hand on the inner thigh, one hand on the outer thigh, and you're jiggling one thigh at a time and you're just no. shaking it back and so forth? So the shimmy I was talking about is actually her shimmying. So yeah. With that energy moving from the thighs, so she is yes is, is uh, shimmying herself. But I do do I shake the thighs, especially if she's tired. Yes, but yeah, flat hands, not moving on the skin, so it's not like a massage. Yes, and it is actually jiggling, so jiggling the thighs, jiggling the bottom. Yeah, hip circles round and around. Yes, mobilizing the pelvis. Um, if the head is well down, but still in in awkward position, it will be, you know, encouraging her to have one knee up, one knee down, so it's yes. like a, a nearly squat. Yes. And then swapping over in, in between. So this takes a lot of work because often by this time she is very tired. Yes. And sometimes the woman has to run on our faith. Yeah. So it can't be blind faith. We need to actually work with her to to work, help her not just this. keep waiting but doing the same thing that's right yeah just it's that's the definition of insanity like doing the same thing expecting different results. results exactly yeah and you know an example of this is when a woman ruptures her membranes the waters break and they used to bring them in put them on a drip and get the baby born by induction yeah one way or another now they tend to go, okay, well, let's see what happens. And then 24 hours later, they bring her in, they induce her, they mm. give her antibiotics and, you know, yes. and the baby's in the – we have to think, why would waters break and the woman not be in labour? Mm. Why would that happen? Mm-hmm. There's a reason mm. and the most common reason is that baby's in an awkward position. Firstly, the, the awkward position – has left a space between the head and the cervix. So when the woman contracts, as she does, without being in labour, those waters bulge through the hole and pop. Mm, interesting. So sometimes, particularly if she's had babies before, that baby might fall into place, she goes into labour and she has a baby. Mm. If it doesn't, we have to ask ourselves, why not? And, mm. and the answer is, I... I don't, uh, you know, maybe always the baby's not in a great position. How can we get it into position? Wiggle, wow. wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> I'm so the you, queen of the wiggles. Yes. Yeah. So, so you would suggest to women if their waters break and they don't go into labor straight away, yep. um, move hip circles move. on the birth ball, wiggle, wiggle the hips, wiggle. shake Absolutely. the hips, put some music on. Absolutely. So I mean, you want to make sure that the baby is in good shape. You know, if the head's been very high, 
you might mm-hmm. come in and get checked out, making sure that the baby has indeed moved down into the yes. pelvis. You know, you want to have safety yeah. at your utmost, but absolutely. Mm. Um, and invariably, the woman will go into labour yes. if you do the right moves and bruise to, yeah. to get her moving. And but essentially... It's that, it's that thought of why. Yeah. Why? What's going on? You know? Totally. Essentially, if you're in doubt of what moves to do, just move. Just move and tune Absolutely. in with your body and see what yeah. your body's asking of you to do. And if you're not that in tune, then that's okay. Just move anyways. Yeah. yeah. And I will really, you know, in those situations, I've really taken up a notch and it's very vigorous and very yeah. energetic. Yeah. You know, people will come to Oh, we tried everything. We even walked up and down the stairs. No, you didn't try everything. Yeah. And I'm not talking to the woman. I'm talking to yes. the practice. No, you didn't. Yes. Because <laughs> how's the woman to know? Yeah, she doesn't it's know. It's our job to know. It is our job to know. Yeah. It is our job to know. So let's rewind. So you had your um, first baba. Yep. And then what did you do after that? I went back to work just two nights a week as a midwife in Bursuite in a big city hospital. Mm. And I kind of became known as the, because I knew what I was working for then. Yeah. You know? Um, and ultimately, maybe I should say, I know who I'm working for. Yes. Right? Which is the woman. Which is the woman. Yeah. Right? So she comes absolutely first. So sometimes people will, you know, I've had things said to me like, oh, you need to get that woman born, born, born by nine o'clock because we don't have oh. nine stuff. You know, I'm like, don't play that game with me. No. You know, just don't even try. Yeah. She will do her thing in her own way, but you have to understand that not not all decisions are made for your well-being or safety. Yes. You know, they might be for staffing. It might be for convenience. It might be just, it's boring. Yes. (laughs) Waiting. The the logistics. The logistics, yeah. Um, And that's not to say... You know, I don't think anybody sets out to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. But if you don't understand the value of what a good birth means to somebody, yes, your advice and decision-making might be different than if you absolutely know that this is important yes. for the woman and for the baby. Yes. You know? And unfortunately these days that's not um, something that all midwives value. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um I was very interested to see the other day Dr. Neil Shah, who's worth following if you're interested in birth. Cool. He's an obstetrician in, in the States, but he was talking about some research that they've done that looked at, you know, different hospitals. Why does one hospital have a Caesar rate of 15% and another of 45 You know, and mm. they were looking at these things because the outcomes aren't better. No. You know? So... I mean, it was it, it was not news to me. No. But it was news to the researchers that what they came up with was, wow, the nurse, as they call it, we would say midwife, the nurse matters. And they found that depending on which nurse or midwife was looking after the woman, that dramatically changed the outcome. Hugely. So they found that that individual midwives had cesarean section rates of I think seven was the lowest and 86 was the highest. Wow. You know, so this is something that really needs to be addressed 
and even recognise, because I don't think midwives themselves realise that what power lies in their hands. Absolutely. And power don't. can be used for good or for evil. Agreed. Know? Agreed. And I'm not saying that it's intending to be evil. No, no. Yeah. But when you look at, you know, I would say the work we do now is reflected in the whole of the lives of the women we serve. Yeah. It's not just one day in their lives. No. It's every day. We impact the it's rest of their everything life. everything they do. It's yeah. their relationship with their baby. It's their relationship with their partner and uh-huh. their children. It's their relationship with their mother. It yeah. goes forwards. It goes backwards. It goes sideways. This matters how women feel about themselves. And that's probably totally. the most important thing. Yes. So you want a woman to be able to look back and go, I did my best. Yes. No matter what the outcome, if they feel like they did their best, there was nothing else they can do. They feel proud of themselves and their choices. And they felt like they had not control over the situation, but control over themselves and their choices. Yeah, they were given good information, including risks and alternatives. Yes. Including what if we do nothing. Yes. Um, They were listened to. Yes. Um, They were given... The, the role of final decision maker because ultimately they are the ones who live with the outcomes. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people say, well, what about in an emergency? That's about relationship because when I'm working with somebody, um, say for a home birth situation, I said there's certain situations where we're not going to have time to chat. If your baby's not breathing, for instance, yes, I'm going to get in and do my job. And do my job. Mm-hmm. And we're going to agree on those things mm. now. So we've had, we've, we can discuss. You can ask any questions you like, but we're not going to stop for chitty chat. No. At the time. No. You know, so this is about relationship. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think of, you know, I, I, I've had a situation where I come in and the woman was lying on the floor and the baby was not in good shape and... And I was taking over the shift and I said to the midwife, call the obstetrician, get the Von gear, you on your feet. And she went, I'm too tired. And I said, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. Yes. On your feet. <laughs> and she got up. I said, now you need to move. I'm tired. Move. Yes. Wiggle, wiggle. Move, move, move. By the time the obstetrician got there, the baby was born, need a little bit of recess and it was fine. Amazing. But you know what the midwife said to me? I could never boss a woman around like you just did. I could never be mean. I went, wow. She said that? Yeah. And I said, do you think she's going to thank you for the sick or dead baby? Yeah. Right. So there are certain times, and I talk to women about this because generally I'm just, I mean, I learned a lot about myself as a midwife watching videos, you know, when people had videos. And I'm like just sitting there with a smile on my face going, that's lovely, that's wonderful, beautiful, yes. beautiful, right? And that's my tone of voice and that's what I would want to use. Yeah. If there's certain circumstances and I talk to the women about this, I'm not telling you what to do, but I reckon if you got up and had a wiggle, yes, that baby had probably come you know, yeah. into place. So I'm a little bit firmer. I'm like, come on, yeah, you know. And, well, and you're thing. at... At, you know, you're quite at liberty to say no or whatever. I said, but in an urgent situation, I'm going to be going, stand up, put your leg here. That's it. Move, move, you know. That's it. So you need those degrees of connection 
that the woman absolutely comes back to from that dreamland she might have been in. Yeah. We resolve a situation. Yeah. Um, and one of the students I was talking to her with it, about it the other day because she said that that a midwife had claimed to be a shit magnet, <laughs> meaning, yeah. oh, whenever I'm here, trouble happens. And yeah. I said, well, I'm, I'm an anti. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to stay out of trouble. So my work is... Staying out of trouble, keeping things safe. Yeah. And for those who are anti-natural birth, it, it is not recognising that the safest way to come into the world for the vast majority of mothers and babies is naturally. Is naturally. It's not about being a mung bean, no. big left wing hippie. I mean, exactly. You, know, you might be those things, but that's not. Yeah, it's not what we're talking it's about. It's not what we're talking about. It's keeping things safe. Yes. And, you know, I mentioned before that I work in Kenya. Yeah. And so I work with the Fremo Birth Centre. Yeah. Um, which is in one of the informal settlements or slums of, of Kenya. And this is our 11th year of, wow. of having that clinic and it's run by all local midwives and doctors. Yeah. Um, and we know when it's thrown in women's faces here how, you know, women in Africa die left, right and centre, you know, that's why it's kind of used as ammunition against women to do what they're told. Yes, yes. So here's this little clinic in Kenya, and I have to say when I first got there, you know, the amount of complications was very high. How many years ago was that when you started there? 2011. Okay. So 11 years ago. Oh, so you went there when it very first started pretty yes, much. Yes, okay. so sure. it, there was babies being born there in a medical centre. Yeah. But we shifted the focus to to birth and we worked on, on ways of birthing women safely, birthing babies safely. Yes. And um, that clinic has persistently had um, a 96% normal birth rate. And wow. That's including twins frequently, breach. Wow. VBAC. Um, and it's Amazing. a very, very low resource centre. Yeah. We don't have an operating theatre. We don't have forceps or Vontus in the clinic. Wow. We don't have pain relief medication. Uh, so that's all totally drug free. Completely. Um, we have never had a mother die, which in Kenya... You know, with, with a very common occurrence for a woman to die in Massive. a childbirth-related incident in Kenya, there has never been a woman die. And for babies, the, the death rate is way below the national um, wow. average and comparable to here in Australia. Yeah. You know, so this is what women can do. That's amazing. Many of the women we've never even met before they walk through the door, so no antenatal care. Um, so, you know, the possibility of a, a problem is, is very high. Yes. Um, you know, I remember a woman coming in with a haemoglobin of six and she hasn't even had the baby yet. Crap. That is low. It is so low. And I, when she did give birth, oh, I remember going, oh, there's a drop of blood afterwards. <laughs> like one drop. Wow. Um, Thank goodness. You know, just amazing how the human body, you know, I, I would say, the body has its own wisdom. 
you know, yes. so even in these difficult circumstances, and we'll be looking at women, you know, perhaps HIV positive, certainly anemic like that woman. Um, Very malnourished they well, would be. Yeah, yeah, malnutrition. Yeah. Um, How's the tearing there? Very low. Very low. See, that's interesting because I guess I would have thought that, you know, malnourished women are more likely of tearing yeah. due to their lack you of elasticity. Think. Yeah, so I think the tear rate overall is around 20%. Wow. Um, they had once a woman who had a um, 3A tear, so it was just to the edge of the sphincter. But just. The, I think that's how it's described, the sphincter was still intact. So we've never had a full yes. thickness, third degree tear. Yeah. And certainly no fistulas or, um, you know, severe fourth degree tears isn't that incredible and i just want to note this um or is it incredible amy or are women meant to give birth we yes we are meant to but it's incredible that in this day and age that that exists you know and i just it's something i want to note is that yes it's such a you said 96 percent normal birth rate so usually one would assume that with less caesars means either more neonatal deaths maternal deaths fistulas all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And the fact that you were able to, for lack of a better word, achieve that natural birth rate whilst yeah. still being really low yeah. in all of these other things is just, yeah, it just yeah. is such an indication of what women are able to do. Oh, absolutely. Naturally. And, you know, I have to say there are certain circumstances that show up that had we had opportunity to transfer to hospital, we might have done that. Yes. And had a cesarean. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I think of one particular woman, uh, I generally go for a month at a time. So the month I was there, we had 75 births, um, and, but the hospitals were on strike and occasionally they would take somebody, but usually not. They had no staff. Everyone was, mm-hmm. so it, it seems absolutely impossible for us to comprehend that a hospital going on the strike. The hospital's on strike, you know. <laughs> and you we so there was this one particular woman who, in spite of doing all the moves and grooves, and, and I have to say when I introduced this to this clinic, the women thought it was the most hilarious thing ever seeing this. The workers. Old, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the staff and the and the women themselves, though, they just uh. thought it was absolutely hilarious, this old Mzungu woman uh, doing, the, you know, the dancing and the wiggling and, and they would just laugh until they realised, oh, when I did it, the baby came out, you know. And so then the place is famous for, for, for its dancing. Um, but this particular woman, she had done everything that we could think of and everyone was exhausted. She'd been in labour for two days, and oh. and we and she was still like two centimetres dilated. We're like, oh my god! Gosh. And we would have transferred her. There's no doubt. If someone would have taken her, we would have transferred her. And you honestly thought you had done everything? Oh, we, you know, we had yeah worked so hard, and she was so exhausted. And, Poor thing. And you know, this is when you may get a fistula, or you yeah. may have a maternal death just through sheer exhaustion. Totally. Um, and certainly a fetal death. And yes. that was one day where I was like, going, if I could just manifest as an epidural. Yeah. Know? Is that what you thought it was, a tight pelvic floor? Um, no, it was, it was a baby that was poorly positioned. Right. Okay. But eventually, you know, with you've got that, just that pounding yeah. for long 
periods of time if she had to go for another, like some women. I mean, I've been to Ethiopia, I've been to the, the, the fistula clinic there and seen those women, you know, who were in labour for a week and ended up with a fistula. So, you know, I have witnessed that. But for her, you know, she was two days in and she wasn't anywhere near that place but just absolutely exhausted and we you know if I had been able to get her an epidural or a transfer to hospital I absolutely would have instigated that but instead we were looking through the medical clinic's um, drug box to see what we could find just to help her rest help her rest yeah and um, we found tramadol which I had never seen given in labour before, but I was kind of had my phone looking for some internet and, and I ended up going somewhere in the world they give it, I found out. Yeah, cool. So we gave it to her Yeah, and she slept. Two hours later she woke up in cracking labour. Three hours after that she gave birth and no drama whatsoever. You know, so just that, that relaxation of her body. The relaxation loss and, of tension. Yeah. So that made 75 births. 75 normal births for the month. So what's, um, like what position did she sleep in? I wonder if that helped at all. She just slept on her side. On her side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And that's where sometimes that epidural can help. Yes. When you, you know, you feel like you have turned every stone and you've, you know. Yes. And the epidural gives her that little bit of relaxation of the pelvic floor and the baby. And and the fear, you know, when the woman sleeps and calms. And it can be a very valuable tool. Totally. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah. So the clinic there, you know, if we had more opportunity for, uh, you know, an easy access to yes. a cesarean, and it costs money too. So yes, you know, often it'll be them ringing me and me finding money you know, to to pay for the cesarean, um, which of course we would always do if she needed, needed it. How much? One way or How another. much is that? Oh, about a hundred bucks for yeah, you know, okay, yeah, for the transfer. Sometimes, some places it will be more expensive, but yeah. that's kind of the minimum we can get it for. Yeah, um, it would cost so much more than that here, wouldn't it? Oh my god! Like women who say in the private sector who end up needing a cesarean, yeah, thousands, thousands, and thousands. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, we also have a public system which is free. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, and overall. Caesarean rates are much lower in the public system. Intervention rates are much lower. The main body of care is given by midwives. Mm. You know, so it's it's. Do you reckon that's what it is? That the main body is cares by the midwife. Do you reckon that's why it's lower? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Interesting. And in saying that, you know, we we have some wonderful obstetricians. Mm. Um, and we can do amazing work together, you mm. know, who are very happy and pleased when women give birth normally, if they've, if they've got the, the right midwife to work with, yes. you know, things. Yes. But they yeah. also recognise that most of the time they're home in bed and it's, it's up to the midwife to do that job. Yes, you know? definitely, definitely, definitely. Not only recognising when, yes, she can do it, it's recognising when there's an issue and you need to act. Yes. Know? So, so. Mm, epic. So then you were at the hospital for two days a week mm-hmm. um, after your first baby. And then where yep. did you go after that? How did you well, go? Then I had another baby. Yes. 
And I, I remember as she was being born, I placed my hands on her head to ease pressure. That yes. I mean, a lot of most people say they feel it in their bum. Yes. I was feeling it in my clitoris. Ah, you know? uh, yes. So I put my hands on to relieve that pressure. The midwife slapped me <gasps> and told me to get my hands out of Dr's sterile field. So it was, again, a sentinel moment in my life where I was like, oh, my God, they think they do it. This is my vagina. When they say, I delivered that baby. Yes. They think they actually delivered it. Ah. Uh, so it was like, cringe. Nah. So I kept my hands there. I said to my husband, here, you can catch her. He caught her, which was unheard of. Amazing. You know? um, and it was an incredible experience. Yes. Yeah. So I didn't ever go back to that big hospital. Yeah. I ended up in a birth centre. I met some midwives doing home births, which I didn't know was a thing in Australia. Wow. Um, was this a birth centre in Brisbane? Yeah. Again, yeah. a private birth centre. Yeah. Um. And I remember when I first got there because there was a lot that needed addressing and they'd say, oh, you big city hospital midwives, you don't know how things work here. And I'm like, hmm. Still pretty unsafe wherever you are. (laughs) you got to have safety of mother and baby at your, Yes, you know. And then by the time I finished there, they're like, oh, you home birth midwives. You you know, so. Yes. um, It was a transition and I ended up attending home births. Um, from then so I was only like now I think oh my god I was so young I was only about 27 when I started attending home births wow and you know the last but you had done so many births by that point which is so cool like it sounds like you were a mainly birth suite well I was but I only worked two nights a week yeah true for two years so I wasn't the most experienced midwife in the world but I was differently experienced you are and you were definitely um, motivated too. Definitely motivated. And I did attend a few births with other midwives and then ended up practicing yeah. on my own. And I mean, again, now the law says you can't attend births on your own. Yes. Um, but then there wasn't many midwives and yeah. you know, I attended hundreds of births on my own. Wow. Um, and again, the vast majority of those women birthed without drama. Yeah. Um, it was, again, around that 95 96% normal birth rate. Wow. In your time as a private midwife? As a private midwife, yeah. Isn't that amazing? 95 96%. Okay. So in that other 4%, you would go into the hospital and for whatever reason, for whatever as in reason. maybe a von Tuz, maybe That's a correct. Caesar. That's correct. Amazing. Just amazing. But cool. the women taught me so much because... One of the doctors said to me the other day, oh, it's so great working with you because I know you're going to sort things out. And I yes. said, I think, you know, those years as a home birth midwife, you become very resourceful Absolutely. or you have drama. Yes. And I've already told you, I don't like drama. Yes. So I became very resourceful. Yeah. Um, and the women teach you so much when you watch a woman who is not um, either told with someone's voice or actions how to act or by her environment. If you've only yes. got a bed in the room, she tends to get on the bed. Yeah. Right? So watching people, I, I say, in the wild as compared to in, in captivity. Yes. <laughs> you learn a lot because they act in instinctive ways. So you yes. see those moves. So I've taken what they've taught me. Yes. And then I can apply it in other, in other circumstances. Yeah. Because women 
given the opportunity, will act in those instinctive ways, but when they are perhaps somehow blocked from their own bodies, you know, there's that emotional separation. Or they're just so tired they can't connect anymore. And, I mean, I must admit, in those circumstances, I will get the actual moves through my body. So Mm. a bit weird like that, you know. So I'll be like moving it okay this is what you need you know like yeah. I, I it's like I get those instinctive those moves, instinctive moves through my body is that um, interesting <laughs> so I can't explain that so cool okay <laughs> I, mean, I, cool. I, I, I remember bringing an obstetrician once and I said look this woman's coming in she's not contracting but I feel pressure in my bum yeah and he went I hate you and I went I know ah! and he goes I was just about to go to cricket and I'm like you were quite free to go to cricket if you choose I'm just telling yeah you what I'm feeling uh, I'll come in but by the time you got there the baby was born yeah so you know I'm sure I'm not the only person in the world that can feel this thing so I think for student midwives midwives just tuning in yeah. to what your body is trying to tell you yeah and what her body is trying to tell you and for the woman herself yes you know I'm not one to be afraid of the word pain. Mm. Um, I, I don't think that it's supposed to be as painful as most women experience it, but I look as, at pain as your friend. Right? Mm-hmm. It's your teacher. So if women themselves welcome it on board and listen to the story it's trying to tell you, it will show you how to move, how to shift that baby, mm. you know. Listen uh, to the pain. Listen to your body. And yeah. it might be experienced as pain, but, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's telling you something. Yeah. And so it's that that welcoming it because I know in the I Ching it says pain is only pain unless you resist. Yes. And then it becomes torture. Yes. So there's a big difference between pain and torture. Uh-huh. And so for me it's that welcoming, listening and honouring it as as a teacher for what you need to do. And the beautiful thing is once they make that shift, it doesn't hurt so much because this the resistance is is past, you know. So Definitely. It's, um, that is such a great, great point because I was going to ask then, what would you say to mamas, the biggest tip on how to listen to your intuition, how to tune into that and listen to that? And would you say that that's your biggest tip? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just to recognise the wonder of your own body. You know, if you look out, I mean, we're sitting here, look at our view. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're looking out at nature. Not one of those trees was planted. A seed fell from the tree mm-hmm. or from the fruit. It might have gone through an, another animal, through a, uh, a bat or a bird, and it's dropped into the soil. And the innate intelligence of that seed has been activated by water, by sunlight, and it's grown into a tree. We have that same innate intelligence within mm. us. Um so it's about recognizing that and our, and the own the the wonder of our own body, and providing the environment that it can best grow in and best express itself in. Agreed. Uh, you know. So. Agreed. 
we are wondrous beings. <laughs> we are. Yeah. Let it bloom. Let it go. Yeah. Yes. So true. So true. Um. So let us know some of your top most memorable birth stories <laughs> that you can recall on. Ah, I, I, I'm looking over at my kitchen table as you speak and there's been two babies born right there. <laughs> <laughs> Whose babies are those in your uh, house? So two of my nieces. Cool. And um, one of them, because I no longer attend home births. <laughs> Why is that? But Well, it's just... Um, focus changed and yeah. and it just didn't feel like what I'm meant to be doing anymore. Yeah. Um, but for this niece, it was only two years ago, I, I did um, agree to be second midwife and it ended up that the midwife was at another very long birth and so I ended up being on that. You were been like, yes. Yeah, so that, that was wonderful to have that baby born in my house and you know I have that connection with her I, I did have to call another midwife in just to be here for the birth but it, it, it was not an easy labor so that was very um I had to really look at myself and go am I so emotionally um involved enmeshed in this you know am I making good cho- you know like really reflecting on that so mm. I Oh, that was a tough one, but wonderful. You did good, Kate. Yes. <laughs> and then the other was, oh, gosh, I think 15 years ago for an, another niece who was going through very tough times and was living down in New South Wales and at 39 weeks just went, I'm going home to my auntie <laughs> and, and jumped in a old four-wheel drive with her four-year-old daughter and drove all the way from near Sydney up to here <sighs> at 39 weeks and had a baby here. Um, wow. Good yeah, on her. So that was pretty amazing. That's powerful. Um, That's really nice that she was just so determined to be here with you for that time yeah, of her life. she was facing a lot of issues and, yeah. and so it turned out so beautiful and her mum ended up here and her sister was here. <sighs> daughter was here so it's very special amazing but, um, but yeah I mean I have attended so many births over the years and all of them um like I said earlier all of them move me yeah for one reason or another yeah um I mean I, I did once I've traveled as far as um the tip of Cape York Peninsula to attend a birth out to Dolby uh, King Roy, um, Port Douglas. <laughs> um, once I drove when a woman was in labour, I drove to the Hunter Valley. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, that's so funny. So these, are, these are big adventures, but even in the hospital, I mean, I'm often questioned as to why or how I can work in a hospital or private hospital after being in private practice. And, yes. And my friend Lynn had begged me to come into the hospital one day when they were very busy and couldn't find staff. At Bajum? No, no, this was oh. at Salangor. Yes. And Salangor. I was like, uh, how about no? Yes. 
and um, she demanded of me <laughs> that uh-huh. I come. And I was like, what would I wear? Yeah. <laughs> she went, you're a resourceful woman. You'll find something to wear. So I ended up in my daughter's school skirt and, and I pushed a shirt from my mum, kind of, you know, semi-professional. And I found an old pair of nursing shoes in my cupboard. Yes. And um, off I went. And I was supposed to, I was instructed to, get this woman ready for theatre. She'd been fully dilated for a few hours. There was no progress, obviously an obstruction and needed a cesarean. So I went in there and I realised that I can't do my work when I'm wearing nursey shoes, so I kicked them off. Yes. (laughs) And I don't know, it's something like, but, and then I just said to her, because I could hear her pushing and I knew that it just wasn't right, so I said, can you move your pelvis? She was heavy, heavily epiduralized. And um, she was like, yep. And I said, okay, do this move, do this move, do this move. And then all of a sudden she went, Ugh! and I was like, now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor came in and went, ah, oh, why isn't she ready for theatre? And I'm like, I'd forgotten that that's what I was supposed to be doing. Yes. And uh, I said, I'm pretty sure I can see the head. And he was like, I don't think so. Oh, that'll be the head. You know? Oh, my gosh. And she pushed the baby out. And it was just so exciting and so wonderful. And so I realised that the hospital is absolutely a place where you can have a good birth. Huge impact. Um, and really, that's all I see is good births because I'm not going to – I'm not going to be a part of it otherwise. I will – I will – yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I won't do it. Yeah. So while it is, has, has been an enormous disappointment to me that I have not been able to change the whole world, Yeah. that really hurts because I thought once people knew, they would want to change. Get on board. And most don't. Um, but I can change the world for that woman. Yeah. or that pace or that, you know, so I've just got to do what I can where I can. So while I'm breathing, I will still be fighting the hard fight. Helping women. And working with women to to birth better. As a true midwife. Tell us about that. So was that kind of like a goal of yours? Yeah, that to process. the whole world? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> tell us that. Like how did, when did that start? When did you realise that it wasn't going to work? Oh. It's not, that I've, it's not that I stopped, you know, hoping. Yes. I thought it would be easier. Um, I did not imagine that birth could get worse than it was. I just didn't imagine that. But I think overall, you know, women are less empowered. Birth is more problematic. Um, there's more intervention. And, I mean, things like this. There's more bleeding. There's more babies ending up in the nursery. These are the consequences of interfering in the birth process. You know, it's not as simple as going, oh, at least the baby's out. You know, there are consequences and we have to weigh those consequences up and make decisions that are the best for the the situation, you know. So for me, an induction because... Somebody's going, works away. Um, I'm like, take a week off. Yeah. 
be home for three weeks rather than I've had this conversation with her. So what it costs me $2,000. I'm like, Hey, I don't earn that in a month. You know, yeah. <laughs> you earn it in a Or how much week. does your car payments cost that's, you or your mortgage payments cost you? That's it. you or know, all this other shit that we don't need. Like, that's it. And, and people will pay more than I paid for my first car for a cot. I saw that once. Yeah. It was a very fancy cot, but. Yeah. And I paid quite a lot for my first, you know, like. But then you're happy to give up like the birth of your baby for the sake of the same amount of price that your cot has cost you. Not looking for that person who can support you to the best birth. Yeah. You know, And, and that, and I mean, we know that having another woman with you who loves you, who has given birth before is helpful uh, and who knows birth well. She may be a midwife, she may be a doula, she may be your mother, a friend, but having another woman with you increases your chances of a normal birth dramatically. Um, And yet people are not prepared to do that. Mm. in saying that no I, I'm trying not to do that either yeah <laughs> my 60 I'm 60 now <laughs> um I'm just getting little tastes of not being on call I've been on call for more than 30 years yes and it's quite nice not to be on call so yes it is isn't um, it I'm kind of trying to wind down that side yeah of things and I might even wind down doing shift work because um, yeah. I'm really feeling it at the moment yeah um but you know, it's such a simple thing to have someone with you. Um, you know, you could have a baby with not another woman in the in the room, and that's not to say female midwives are necessarily better than men. I've known some fabulous men, with male midwives, um, who are more in tune with your your feminine mm. uh, action than than some women are. But it, it's about finding those people who can really support you well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is crucial. So when you came up with this goal of trying to (laughs) change the world, sorry. Yeah, like where did that where did you sort of decide that? When did you start trying to implement it and and what's like how's it made you feel? Well look, even when I was first a midwife and seeing that how fabulous women felt on the other side of giving birth I would try to you know encourage other midwives to do that or talk to them about it or talk to women you know um I remember older midwives coming to me knocking on the door and, and I'd come to the door and they'd go that woman's making an awful lot of noise and and she would just be moaning or you know yeah make it and I, and I would act all innocent and go, oh, yes, she's having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd go, uh, uh, they wouldn't know what to do with me then. Yeah. Um, I, I remember even at Selangor, and that's as many years later, you know, one of the nurse managers coming in and going, what's going on here? And I said, today a baby's coming out of a lady's tummy. <laughs> Which is very Monty Python. Into you know? sarcasm. But, and then they don't know what to do with me, so they leave me. Or, yeah. Or where I work now, somebody's saying to me, so what is she? Who You know, I just admitted a woman into the birth suite. What is she? And what they want to know is how dilated she is. Yeah. And I go, pardon? 
And they go, what is she? And I go, she's, she's, she's a woman. <laughs> no, no, what is she? And they hold their fingers up to show me what they mean. Yeah. Go, oh, one day I just went, she's 25 centimetres dilated, you know, and they were like, what? And while they're confused, I just walk away. <laughs> I don't need, I don't need to put my fingers inside of a woman to see what's going on. So a lot of the time I would not do a vaginal examination um, for the whole labour. Um, it is a useful tool at other times, but, you know, as my baseline would be not to, you know? Yes. Um, I love that. I love that cheek. I don't have that. I'm not confident <laughs> enough for that, but that's so good. Oh, yeah, you've got to be cheeky. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think, and and I'm working as a facilitator for students at the moment, and one of the things <sighs> that we talk about is courage building. Yes. And, and I think it's... You know, whether you're a midwife or a woman, building courage in your everyday life because yes. this is not a business for nice girls, right? Show me your badass woman. You know, yes, show exactly. Me, show me your badass woman. You That's know. exactly it. Um, so if you need to swear, if you need to stomp your feet, if you need to say, fuck off. Yes, you know, yes, do it. Do it. Do because it. You, Stop you just following the rules. Have, you, you know, you those who are polite and it really is stunning to see how often women say the words I'm sorry yeah you know I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry it's like we're sorry to exist yeah and we need to shift that we do we need to be proud of who we are and hold our place in the world but ways you can practice this I said this to a student the other day you know what I want you to do say you go to the shop and they give you 10 cents too little change you don't really care because what can you buy with 10 cents? I want you to turn around and say, ah, oh, excuse me, you didn't give me enough change, right? They're going to think you're a bit of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you're going to get used to standing there and yeah. not giving a heck that they think that giving, about you. That's right. And to standing be a good midwife, right. you actually have to look like a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look silly. Look, yes. you know, when they're up there dancing, yeah. like, I have crawled up between the legs of a woman who they, they've set up to do a Von Tuse. <laughs> and I've crawled up and offered her a towel and I say, pull on this towel while you push, you know. Yes. And, yeah. and then the baby comes out and they're like, oh, we can put that Von Tuse away. You know, yes. Like, you you look silly. People think you're an idiot, you know. Yeah. But what's, what matters is how does that woman feel? Yes. How did that birth turn out? Who cares what the yeah. team leader and whoever no. else thinks of you? <laughs> They're used to me anyway, so now. Ah, oh, that's so good. But, um, Amazing. But practising being brave in your everyday life is is a really powerful thing so you can go, actually, no, I'm going to wait a little bit longer. Or, I love that. Yep. I've just done this whole segment on like my Instagram about the whole being bold and in your birth, you do have to be bold in, you know, saying yes to things that you want or saying no to things that you don't want of asking questions, asking, are there any other options? And when you're told things, not to just think, oh, because I've been told I have to always take it as a question. Even if they're telling you, you have to get on the bed, we have to do it. You can always say no. You can always ask questions. Oh, we have to do this one too. We have to do a Caesar. You can always ask for more time, ask for other options. Like not even ask, but tell. Like you're not, you don't have to just do it just because you've been told to. And it's a point that I'm really driving home because I'm really noticing in my birth workshops, people are, when I'm talking about that, 
especially like, you know, if you've got a beautiful, soft nature, especially if the husband is as well, it's teaching both mum and dad mm. like to yep. be bold, stand up. And one of the sentences that I encourage people to use is, is that really necessary? Yeah. Because you don't want to be in a circumstance where they th- they think it's absolutely imperative for the well-being of your baby, but you've gone no or and I don't know, and this happens sometimes, and that's that that grading of your um, the way you communicate and relationship. So, um, if you're bossy all the time, and then you're going, you need a Caesar. How do they know that you're serious? Or yeah, know, you know, they have to trust you. Exactly. So, but so, is that really necessary? And yes. it's amazing. And I'll tell you another story. <laughs> you know, tell us. When I was early days of working in a hospital, and I I was to go in and get this woman ready for her induction. And I went and I said to her, so why are you having an induction? And she went, um, I don't know, I was just told to. Yes. And I said, oh, that's interesting. So let's explore that a little bit further. Her blood pressure was fine. You know, she wasn't three weeks over her due date. You know, I think she was two days over her due date. Okay. Inverted commas. You always got to put inverted commas around the due date. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, the baby was moving fine, you know. And I said, look, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I said, but if it was me, I'd want to know why. And um, then her husband came and she said, oh, Vicky doesn't seem to think I need an induction. And I said, let me just stop you right there. That's not what I said at all because it's not my place. I said, what I said was you might want to explore it a little bit further so you have knowledge about why and how and, you know, going into. She went, and he turned to me and he said, you listen to me. We pay, doctor, a shitload of money to make decisions for us. He would not be making a decision that wasn't right. False. <laughs> anyway, he was quite aggressive and I just kind of went, mm-hmm. Anyway, the doctor came in and went, okay, quick, 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 let's get this, you know, Let's get this done because it was the first stage of an induction, which was some prostaglandins. And she went, um, is this induction really necessary? And he just went seriously like this, no, 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 what do you want to do? And she said, I'd just rather wait. And he went, yeah, that's fine. Okay, I'm off for the weekend, but I'll see you Monday. <laughs> and that was it. How, what was the dad's response to that? Very quiet. Yeah, he sounds like a bit of a muppet. <laughs> he was very quiet. Yeah. But, you know, they've often, and, and it's interesting how money exchange, for some people, the more you pay, they think the more you're getting. Yes. I used to get this with a home birth midwife because I'd be the cheaper, you know, and or really? I'd be free or I'd be, you know, like. Because you struggle asking for money. I that's for sure. Money. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And, um. One woman actually said to me, oh, I just thought that you might not be that good because you're so cheap. And I was like, wow, people actually think that. They do. Yeah. hundred percent they do. Even to every little thing, me and my partner, he's very much like he splurge, splurge, splurge all the time and I'm a lot more of a cheapskate. And (laughs) every time we go to buy like, you know, a new lounge or whatever and he's always like, oh, we have to get this one. Like that one's just going to be a piece of shit. And I'm like, no, it doesn't always equal, you know, X plus Y plus Z. It's just not that basic. I got these two couches that we're sitting on from the op shop. (laughs) So good. So good. 
Yeah, it's funny. People are funny with money. They are. It's yes. really interesting. Um, anyway, she went home and she came back over the weekend when he was away and birthed her baby spectacularly. What And a was legend. very happy. But this is, you know, just a simple question. Is it really necessary? Yeah. And there was study in Scandinavia somewhere many years ago and they had a 1,000 women and, no, I don't have the reference. It was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. But 1,000 women and 500 of them, they said, just ask the question, is it really necessary? Anything that's put to you. That group had half the Caesar rate, half the, half the instrumental birth rate, and no, out, no change as far as well-being of mothers and babies. Amazing. But that's not measuring mental health, whereas I'm sure those ones had better mental health on the other side. The ones who asked the question. That's right. Absolutely agreed. So very I love simple that. things can make big changes. Yes. No. That is such an amazing, amazing point. Is this necessary? And, and a little bit what you said before, if you've already made a decision about something, don't ask questions, make statements. Yeah. Right? That's my way of saying what you said. So, yeah. and... This was illustrated many years ago. I think this child has children now. But um, when we were first negotiating things like fathers in operating theatres and um, let alone midwives in operating theatres, so this woman actually had a caesarean and um, she wanted me with her in the operating theatre and they were like, nope, you can have one person. I'd be a husband because she asked, could I have my midwife? Um, or you can choose one. Either your husband or your midwife. You can't have both. And they left the room and I said to her, don't ask questions, make statements. Right. So the anaesthetist came in then and she went, I'll be having both my midwife and my, doc, my husband with me in the birth, in, in the theatre. And he went, oh, that's a bit irregular. And she said, that's what I'm doing. So good. And he went, oh, I guess we can make that work. Right, just totally different response. First it was, no, 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 it's not what we do, you know. So just totally different response. Completely. Um, And I remember the first time, uh, you know, now it's it's routine for skin to skin, or it should be. It should be routine. Yes. (laughs) Skin to skin after a cesarean. Yep. But the first time we did it, um to my knowledge on the Sunshine Coast or maybe in Queensland or maybe in Australia, uh, was at Selangor. Oh. And, oh, the resistance. But we are just like, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Well, like, that's why? Doing. I think I wonder whether these doctors reflect, why do I feel so much resistance to this? Like, just because it's different. Just because it's different. And just because they don't see the benefit. Yeah. If it's important to the woman, why, like, why are you so... It's a different focus, you know, and I mean, if you look at medical school, if you look at, you know, there is that you are the one, you have all the responsibility, you you know. Um, Yes. I remember remember a woman years ago um, and she had heard me speak at a conference. Yeah. And then had this kind of gnawing, she had planned a cesarean. And then had this gnawing feeling that she needed to talk to me, that she needed to have. She was pregnant? Yeah. 
and one of her friends had dragged her along, I'm sure, with an ulterior motive to inspire her because she'd had a very nasty forceps for her first birth and then a caesarean for her second and told never to go near vaginal birth again. But she, she ended up speaking to her obstetrician and going, look, I've just got this feeling I need to have a vaginal birth. And he, he, you know, and then, he t- then she told him that she was going to have a home. <laughs> and he said, if you make that decision, I wash my hands of you. All the responsibility lies fairly and squarely with you. And she went, oh, thank you, doctor. Now my decision is firm because she went, well, where else would it lie except with me? He actually rang me and said that he was going to put me in jail. But, yeah, he said, when when that baby dies, and it will, I will be after you and we'll put you in jail. How intimidating is that? Wow. She had a beautiful birth. With you as the midwife? Yeah. Of a bigger baby than either of her other babies. How did that birth go down? Do you, do you know what happened with the first birth, why she needed the forceps initially? Probably malpresentation. Yeah. That's, Which for people at home, that's just a mispositioned baby. Yeah. yeah. It's that little crooked head. And if you want to think about if you've ever put a jumper on a toddler or even yourself when you're pulling on a tight-necked jumper and you put your chin on your chest and you pull from the top the vertex of your head, right, and you pull it on and it comes on smoothly. So say you're doing it with a toddler and the toddler is distracted and lifts his head up, looking over at, you know, what's going on over there and suddenly it's the same hole, it's the same head, but suddenly it won't fit through anymore. Yeah. And you have to wiggle it's the stuck jumper at the off forehead. It. It's stuck at the forehead. It's a it's max stuck at stretch. It. That's it. Yeah, you're going about, about yeah. to rip the jumper neck. Yeah. yeah. So you need to take the child out, you know, like again. Yeah. Or wiggle, 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 wiggle it through. So it's that same principle, same head, same hole. So Different true. angle, you know, so. Such a great it, way it, of explaining it. It's such a, a, a simple thing, but it can have quite serious consequences if Love you that. don't. Uh, understand it and, and and act accordingly. It's interesting how you talk about this, you know, goal of changing the world and whatever in regards to birth because um, since exploring this stuff myself in, you know, my own way, it's just baffled me that this isn't how we do it. I feel like it is so basic and the fact that, like, you know, the women at work, they're smart. They're smart. There is nothing dumb about them, you know. They're all very smart. Obviously, all the doctors very, very smart. Why are we so close-minded to this concept of positioning and flexion and rotation of baby? Like, it just amazes me. You have to understand, Amy, that we are looking at now generations of midwives and doctors that have really not seen normal. Yes. They might never have. I mean, I've attended births with a couple of obstetricians who have said to me that's the first time I've truly seen a woman give birth and they're already obstetricians obstetricians. and they're private obstetricians so they're experienced very experienced but see even experience because I mean when I was doing my training medical students only had to witness two and then catch two babies right so then they come back as residents and registrars 
and they're involved in the Vontus pulling the baby out or cutting the baby out. The midwives are attending the normal births. So for some obstetricians, the next normal birth they see might be as a qualified obstetrician. It's astounding. It is astounding. They might only have a couple of witnesses. I would even argue how many normal births midwives see. Oh, that's what I mean now. You know? Now you have generation after generation who are not witnessing that possibility. Yeah. And so they they don't have the faith. And so often there's that moment where the woman might lose faith in herself if you don't have people around you. That believe in it? And I've said to women at times, you know, just last week or the week before when a woman was like, I just, I can't do anymore. And I said, I absolutely hear you and respect you. And if an epidural is what you want, an epidural is what I'll get you. But what I can say to you, I've been here a thousand times before. And my feeling is that you've got a little bit more in you. Yeah. More than you will ever know. Yeah. So what I what I would suggest is you try this, this, and this. If we're still here in an hour, then revisit that idea of an epidural. Yeah. And so she has to look at me and go, am I going to trust this woman? And in the end, that's and, her choice. And she chooses. Yes. Because I've never had a 30-hour, like, you know, like, oh, yeah. you know, like yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know how I would be. And if she doesn't, if that's not something she values, then cool, go for the epidural. Yeah. If that's All you have want. to do is the best in every moment. Yeah. And if you can can believe me that I, I feel you've got a little bit more left in you, then let's give it a go. Otherwise, I will call the anaesthetist, you know, like yes. or, or do what needs to be done. And, and, and invariably she'll go, she might say, I'll give you 15 minutes. Forget, yeah. Forget the hour, I'll give you 15 minutes. Yeah. And then, you know, things shift and change and she gives birth. Yes. You know, so, but if I don't have the faith. Yes. Or if you're not going to be assertive in actually trying something. Mm. Like even you saying before with that other midwife saying, I couldn't be bossy and mean like you. You were where you went in there and you were assertive, and that's what that woman needed. And the reason that she was lying around on the floor and the baby wasn't in good nick, and and she she's you know I'm too tired is because nothing was fucking happening. She had no faith. Mm. She didn't feel faith in herself. The other midwife wasn't, you know, giving putting faith in her or putting the effort. Not that she did. She may just not have known. But you know, like you've got to be assertive. You do. Or just kind. Yeah. Options. But this is about knowing what they want. You yeah. cannot imagine. Well, you maybe maybe you can. You're a midwife. How many times? Because it is very different. My past of looking after a woman during her pregnancy, her birth, and afterwards to my present of meeting someone when they're in labour. You know that is wild. And so a lot of people go, "Well, what can you do? You can't do much with them." I, I, I never give up, so I'm always, even if I've met them in the last hour of their birth, I'm not giving up on them. I'm, I'm there yeah. to work. But I say to the midwife before I meet the woman, I say, so what does she want? And invariably I'm, I get, I'm, I don't know, I guess she wants the baby to come out, you know, but nothing concrete. Unless you know what that woman wants, how can you work with her? You know? Exactly. So establishing that early on, or if you're a woman having a baby, make sure people know it, right? Make sure people know this is what I want. This is what I'm prepared to exactly. do. Exactly. You no, know, 
And like how you're meant to be caring for the woman. You're meant to be giving her the birth experience that she desires. That's based on her values and her birth goals. So if you don't even know that, mm-hmm. how are you caring mm-hmm. and supporting that woman? Yeah. Because you are caring for her how you feel you would want to be cared for potentially yeah. and that, or not. And that might work the other way, that she is absolutely adamant that she wants an epidural. Yeah. And I remember a birth where I could hear her from outside before I met her. And I'm like, something's not right, you know, something's not right. And when I went into the room, the obstetrician was there and he went, oh, Vicky's here now, she'll she'll get you through this. Um, and she said, but I want an epidural. He, she, he said, oh, I don't think you're going to need it. Anyway, I talked to her. And established that she did indeed want an epidural. And I rang the obstetrician and I said, oh, I'd just like you to arrange an epidural for her. And he said, I didn't think you liked epidurals, Vicky. And I said, you must be mistaken. The epidural is not for me. It's for her. And he went, oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Exactly. Right. This isn't about you. And then when I spoke to her a couple of days later, she let me know that she had been sexually abused and the thought of any sensation in that area was just too much for her to bear. Now, had she worked with someone through her pregnancy, she might have come to a different conclusion, but for that moment in time, yes, she said, I was so scared no one would listen to me. So, you know, it's no use being the midwife patting yourself on the back because someone had a normal birth mm-hmm. It's not if it's not what she wanted. Because that might be for her traumatic, way more traumatic, absolutely, than the outcome of this. That's right. Yeah, it's it's a way up of the risk and benefit always, and and you or I or no one is saying that natural birth is always the best way. No, no, no. So interesting. All right, what else oh. did I want to ask you? So tell us a bit about Fremo and the women over in Fremo Birth Clinic, how they birth what the setup is. How long has it been since you've actually been there? Two years now. Yeah, that's sad for you. I was there in February of 2020. Yeah. I had heard about this little virus, but I kind of went virus, virus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I took off. Um, Yeah. And then I went to Morocco and I was actually in the desert and kind of came out of the desert after a week in the desert with to 100 messages and emails saying get the hell home and I'm like, yeah crazy but, um yes that was an adventure but yeah so I haven't been back but we're in constant contact yes um and they don't need me right they don't they run the clinic they they um do everything that needs to be done with incredibly small amount of money I mean I really I don't know how they do it and a lot of integrity I really don't know how they do it but yes integrity is incredible absolutely number one so when you started there 11 years ago Mm -hmm. did you like teach them about your midwifery stuff yes so we had been Moffat who runs the clinic and I had been talking on the phone and messaging uh I remember the he said something that there was 1,800 messages between us between when we first kind of met um, online and then by the time I was I, I got yeah. there. 
and I had heard a little, I was having a coffee down at Malula Bar and there was a little story in the Weekender magazine, which I, there was a picture of a Kenyan kid on the front of the, the um, magazine. And I've always had that affinity with um, Africa. Africa. I yeah. hate even saying it because it sounds like such a white saviour kind of thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I really don't like that. <laughs> but it's, you know, I do have that affinity. Yeah. And I flipped to the page and I was in the second paragraph and I read the name Moffat Osoro and I knew that was my destiny staring me in the face. Amazing. Um, and the story was actually talking about, you know, um, the birth that had happened there and this, she was a local woman from here, but she happened to kind of go to the clinic, not medically trained or anything, but just kind of got involved. And uh, she's describing the birth, saying, oh, the baby got stuck, but luckily I'd seen a birth before, so I knew what to do. So I climbed on her belly and pushed. And I was like, oh, my God, this is not what to do. Yeah. <laughs> but the baby came out and, you know. Are you saying it, that it's a, a person separate to the mother went onto the belly and pushed yeah. the belly? Wow. <laughs> Okay, I wonder where they learned that from. Well, they'd seen one birth and they didn't have been fitted for that. So, um, and yeah, fundal yeah. pressure pushing from the from the top of the uterus is actually quite a common occurrence. And what I found when I went there is so much of the problems that occur in birth, um, and sadly, birth gets a bad name. Birth is dangerous. Look at what happens in these third world countries. Uh. Poverty is a problem. Mm-hmm. Disease is a problem. Lack of care is a problem. Birth itself is inherently safe. That's mm-hmm. my understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but three things that were prevalent. A, drip me. They used to say when they'd come in, drip me. So they wanted a syntocin on infusion or oxytocin infusion. Fundle me. They want to, you to push on the belly to help the baby come out and cut me. They want an episiotomy. The African woman would say this that. This is the, the women I was working with. And it was a very typical behaviour. And, I mean, even earlier that year I'd been in Cambodia and right out in the sticks, not even a car could get out there in a little lean-to. There was bananas for sale. There was... Uh, sweet potatoes for sale there was coconuts for sale there was oxytocin and the midwives used to have run these little clinics and the ones that were most popular were the ones that had access to IV gear and push the labor along fast is good that was the motto <laughs> kind of still is really isn't it but then you wonder <laughs> you know then then people wonder why people die yeah um, Especially because you weren't you saying you've told me previously at Freebo, or it might have been somewhere else when you first went there, the oxytocin was just dripping drip, in. Drip, drip, it wasn't drip, on a pump; it was no, just go, pump, going free flow. It's so the so first, that was when I my first kind of uh, introduction to the clinic. I mean, Cannibal, Cannibal, come in, welcome. And here's a woman lying on this bench with a drip in, 
just going drip, 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 drip. Oh my gosh. Um, and no monitoring equipment, not even a pinards to listen to the babies. Oh my gosh. And um, when I said, so how much oxytocin is in this bag? They're like, oh, I don't know. Nobody knew. And Oh my God. Oh my God. What, did, what have I done? That is so you know, stupid woman who's jumped on a plane and based on one article and a bunch of facebook messages which is so so ridiculous it's awesome and i was sick as a dog you know and the the trip was awful and i I was really unwell with Um, the food over there no 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 that's fine but it it was well i'd had a 36 hour flight i think it was a couple of hours in in um an airless customs office then i'd been picked up and transported to the clinic in a car that had no seat in the back. So I'm in the back seat with on the metal. Oh, my god! Not able to wind down the window, and it's very polluted. So by the time I got there, I just felt terrible. Carbon monoxide probably. I'm going to die. Yes. And then here's this woman. I'm like, I am actually going to die. But I went to bed with some stemital, I think, and then woke up the next day and kind of went, okay, if – we are going to do this together. I, I can teach you ways of, of, of augmenting a labour if it slows down yeah. or, um, and some of that might be rest, food, fluid, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and helping a baby to, you know, that is in an awkward position, get into position. Yeah. But I can't be involved if we're going to give Sinto like that. I said, we do use it, but, you know, we're so afraid of it that we have a special machine that counts the drops and it starts like drop, like one, one mil an hour. hour drop. Yes. And then we have another machine which counts and records every beat of that baby's heart yeah. and what contraction she's having. And then we have an operating theatre that's ready to do a cesarean if she if gets into that trouble. Baby in yeah, distress. because it is one of the things that will stress about, you know. And they yeah, like, it's a powerful job. Okay, show us. Right? Now, I did not go with an agenda. Yeah. I just went because I was invited. Yeah. And it was really the brilliance and the insight of brothers Moffat and Fred who run the clinic who listened and went that actually makes sense let's give it a go yeah and so from that day they just changed the way they did things but we had to work with the women who have you know it's a it was a British colony and so the worst of western medicine lying on your back no family so they'd come alone no food no drink and then you wonder why people get into trouble, you mm. know. So, but this is this is and Western. Then over here, we think that all these doctors are saving us with these cesarean sections because others would be dying like fifty percent of the people over in Kenya, and that's not the yeah. case. It's that they're using our methods in it in an unsafe way or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and, that, and I mean that's not to say that in remote areas where they don't have help, you know, they can do everything. Yeah, you know, but it's so simple things like. You can bring anybody you want with you, your mother, your sister, your friends, as many and whoever. And I used to say this, and and very much women's business in Kenya, and so they started bringing, they were so shocked and um, just having 
um, sovereignty over their own lives, people being kind to them. So kindness, compassion, food, drink, um, and company, you know, really shifted things. And one day a woman went, because I, I was just, I'd, you know, you can bring your mother, your sister. One day I just went, be your husband if you want to. And she went, oh, oh, silly. No. <laughs> and, I went, and then she went, can I really bring my husband? And I said, it's up to you. You're the boss. Yes. And she went, I would have thought, no, but every day my husband says, I want to see this baby born. Really? I want to see this baby born. And so he... Are they speaking to you in English? Yeah, they all speak English. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And Swahili and the local languages. Some of them have five or six languages. Incredible. Smart people. That's Smart people. There. And, I mean, I always say because we, we now have a school. Yes. Because when the kids were a few years old and kind of coming to school age, Moffat was like, they've come into the world so beautifully and now there's... You know, they might be no honest. education for them. No yeah. education, or 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 you have to pay for it. Yeah. Expensive education. So he set up a school. What a legend! But I tell you, when I am at the school, I'm like these kids would run rings around our kids. Like yeah. their language skills, their mathematical skill. You know, because wow. they put a lot of focus on that. Interesting. I mean, I did put my bit in of going. They also need to grow food. You know, so we have yes. a garden. You know, so you know, so. Yeah. Because they aspire to, often will aspire to being a doctor or a lawyer, but not everybody's going to be a doctor or a lawyer. No. Someone has to grow the food, someone has yeah. to sew the clothes, so, no, so yeah. we expand that. But yeah, very academic, um, even in the slums. Yes. Um, so do they still use oxytocin now? To do anything, induce women, augment women? Do you use that at all no. in Primo? Then, and we, they didn't have a fridge anyway. <laughs> so it wasn't so even probably, stored in the fridge. I don't know. But um, they, for the first few years, we didn't use anything for a um, active third stage. But yeah. now, now they generally use oxytocin for an active third stage. Right, which yeah. is the birthing of the placenta. Birthing of the placenta and, and working on that reduction of... of Cool. Mind you, here's another stat for you, Amy. Yeah. In all the years, we have never had a catastrophic bleed. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? And I guess as well with your women over there, with you know the general being malnourished, um, you would want to lose as little blood as as possible. possible. So if you could have every woman losing less than five hundred mils, then that would be. Well, I remember once I was there when they had a woman bleed 500 and they were like, oh, my gosh. You know, like they were really, really concerned about that. Seriously. Isn't that interesting? That's nothing for us here, is it? No, well, the women here, quite frankly, bleed far too often. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see that in my home birth practice. Wow, really? No. Gosh, no. Isn't that interesting? No. Every now and then you'd have a woman who, you know, bled a little bit more than you would hope. Yeah. Um... But not like, not like we see in the hospitals here. It's like every second is having a PPH. Yeah. It's not normal. It's not normal. Again, coming back to women are not expendable. Mm. Right? So if you look at anything that, you know, if they wouldn't have survived without that massive, you know, like the care, mm. then we're actually saying that she would have 
been expendable. No, mm-hmm. no, I can't accept that. Yeah, no, no, isn't it interesting? What else do you have to tell us about Kenya and birthing over there? So it took quite a lot of convincing. To Moffat and Fred? Not so much Moffat and Fred because they saw it from the first birth. They went, oh. This chick knows what she's talking about. The baby. Well, not so much me, but the women had, you know, they just were like, oh. I remember a doctor saying to me, he, he was crying, and he said, I didn't know the baby would come out if you didn't yell at her. Wow. He said he felt terrible because that's what he'd learned. And in a lot of places they will actually not only yell but hit her. Over in, wow. And that happens in many places throughout the world. And I think people say to me, why do you think that happened? Why would a midwife do that? And I think when you are so disempowered in your day-to-day life and we've seen it, somebody gets a little bit of power and they send it sideways. Yeah. You know? um, so it's very sad. But that is. But so when he sad. said that to me, it was so moving. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they just recognised because one of the things I said, "How did your grandmother give birth?" Mm. Uh, she sure as hell didn't lie on her back with her legs in the air. No way. You know. And in fact, I've got a beautiful photo. I can find it and get Moffat's permission of Moffat's mum showing me how she gave birth. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we can put it on you. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I'd love that. You know, this is not the Kenyan way of giving birth. This no. is the old-fashioned British way and they just haven't moved on from it. So isolation was never part of giving birth. Not all that. Um, I did meet a beautiful old midwife out in uh, the Masai Mara mm. and, you know, through translator, you know, she told me how they would just have the women and nurture her and love her mm. and, you know, this is this is birthing culture of times gone by, mm. women supporting women in an environment of love, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. And, um, in fact, I've got it written down somewhere. What did he say? Oh, yeah. I came, he was interviewing a woman that was looking at deciding where she was going to have a baby. And he said to her, this is the same doctor, he said to her, he kind of stopped mid-sentence and then he said, what we've learned is, I'm going to cry now, but he said, what we've learned is women's bodies work better when they're loved. Aww. I was like, my work is done. Yes, that's <laughs> if huge I can teach impact. One thing, you know? Yeah, that's a huge impact. Yeah. Oh, and so, so as midwives, you don't necessarily like everybody you meet in life. Yeah. But if you're working as a midwife, it's imperative that you love them. Absolutely. As another human being, you know, and give them your very best. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. You don't have to like them. You just have to love them. That's it. Yeah. You would need the tissues at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but 
but for and, and that's what they recognized yeah and for the women it's transformational in their lives huge so that first guy that came now most of the guys come to the birth and the women yeah. will report because you know they're living in very poor circumstances mm-hmm. they probably don't have water they don't have a toilet dirt floor mm. they might have six or eight people living in a room the size of my kitchen mm-hmm. you know it, it's tough mm. and so there's a lot of violence um, within the community but women have reported he doesn't hit me anymore mm-hmm. and the guys will say that their feelings have changed towards that woman and plus they have Moffat counselling them on all sorts of wow. things. He's a philosopher. He is a psychologist by training. Um, Interesting. And, um, but he's an incredible speaker and teacher. Wow. Um, and so he takes on board um, a lot of his counselling. and and With the males particularly? With the males and the women, but with the males he, he will, you know, on building families and community and so change it changes everything and kind of teaching them like hitting a woman isn't good it's not okay isn't that interesting wow yeah we just we just live in such a different world yeah it's all so shocking the whole thing and you know that's not to say that people here aren't cruel to people no but they tend not to leave bruises yeah and even just the sense of you saying how the doctors were hitting a laboring woman oh i just think i would just explode if i saw that mostly the midwives though wow um but yeah it's it's beyond you know yeah you can't even comprehend Mm. um wow okay cool so Give us a quick little spiel on how women can naturally and in an empowered way birth in the hospital setting. I guess your best tips. Well, really, wherever you have a baby, it's surrounding yourself with people who care about you, care about the outcome, care about your life, how you're going to feel today, tomorrow, next week next year the whole Mm. of your life so they actually deeply care about you um and then finding someone who knows birth well Mm. because you want somebody who respects your individual birth knowledge because you have a lot that instinctive knowledge knowing yourself knowing your personality knowing your how you deal with things emotionally so but you need someone who respects that and sees you but also someone who has a vast array of perhaps collective birth knowledge that they've learned, maybe through their own experiences, maybe through attending births in a variety of settings, a variety of situations, so they can gather that information and share it with you when it's appropriate. You know, that might help you, you know. Uh, I mean, an instance of that is, you know, watching women the way they move during childbirth when they're not instructed and then maybe using those same moves, okay, let's try this, one leg up, one leg down, let's swap it up. You know, I've seen women do that Definitely. when not instructed. Um, because that's what their intuition's guiding right. them to. Yeah. 
so they've got that so it's it's marrying that individual birth knowledge and respecting that individual birth knowledge with collective birth knowledge mm. because there's no doubt there are times when that knowledge is going to serve you incredibly well on a on a moment to moment basis but in 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 a, a um perhaps an urgent situation as well you want that trust that trust is you know the number of times over the years when people have said oh I'm going to so-and-so but do you mind coming to the birth to protect me from them I'm like can you hear hear what you're saying yeah can you hear what you're saying wow crazy isn't it that's just crazy or I'm going to the same person who treated me really poorly last time but they know me well, do they? What? <laughs> and why would you go back? Why would you? Yeah. They didn't listen to me last time, but yeah. <laughs> See how that works out this time. Mm. Again, doing the same thing, yeah. expecting different results is just So it's insane. putting yourself in the centre. Yeah. Right? Of the pregnancy, of the birth. Yeah. Um, Amazing. You, it's about you. Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful way to send off our people in this podcast? It's about you. Put yourself at the center. Absolutely. Love that. Now, I guess, talk about Freemo and if people want to help the clinic, what they're going to be helping with and where they can help. Okay. Well, I mean, that would be amazing because really they run on the proverbial smell of an oily rag. It is crazy. And as you heard Vicky say before, if they have a woman that needs a cesarean section, she'll be transferring money to get that woman to a Caesar. So your money, I just find it incredible. And it's one of those few things that you've literally transferring it straight to the place and it's literally helping those women. So there's no, there's no admin costs or anything like no. that. No. Nothing. Um, and the, cl- the, the clinic costs money to run. Yeah, we run, and I think this is part of our longevity because you hear of clinics being set up and clinics dying, or you know, charities having money that they give enormous amounts to you know certain situations or groups, and they might buy a CTG machine that goes into a remote area, but there's no electricity. Ah, yeah, and it just gathers dust, dust, or it breaks down, and nobody is there to fix it. Yeah, or does it even improve the outcomes, even if we're using it? Yeah, so it's a, kind of a fear-based thing yeah. that we're thinking of big things, whereas it's thinking of those small things. How do we? And I mean, for this clinic being a model of care, that's what our future, you know, that we want to do to present this as a model of care mm-hmm. you know, we've had more than 10 years now so we know that the model works and we run it as a if you see my inverted commas for the very a very small business model yes so it's not totally free for everybody yeah um i mean we have like we might have 20 or 30 staff to pay at any given yeah. time um we have rent we have two premises now so we have one in Kawangwari which is the original one and another one in Kabiria. I didn't realise that. When did that open? Since I, in the last two years. I I haven't even seen the new one. Wow. Mm. Cool. Um, So rent to pay on both of those, all the utilities, water, because one of the first things we did was put on water. That was an exciting day. That is exciting. Um, That would be a massive change. Oh, my goodness. So there's electricity to pay. There's um, even things like 
disposing of placentas. They yeah. Used, they used to have a big hole in the ground. Ah! Oh my god. That would smell. It caused so much amusement when I peered over into the pit one day and for the next hour I think I was just like Yes. You know, they thought that was hilarious. Yes. (laughs) I like to provide amusement as I go. Yes. Oh my God. So now we have a special system where they go into a special bin and they're collected. You know. So it all costs money. Um the staff themselves, I mean, we started, I think the highest pay was like $30 a month. That is not so anymore. It might be $250 a month. So it's still very small. Yeah. And they can earn a whole lot more if they go into the city to work. Yeah, right. So, you know, we would, you know, like to know that everybody who at least works for us is not in abject poverty. Yes. Right? So they can send their child to school, and, you know, so... We try to put the wages up when we can. Yes. Um, but it costs an enormous amount to run the clinic. It does. So, And you've people, talked about having a car before for yeah, transport of those women that need yeah. seizures. Is that right? Initially we didn't have a car. And at night time, you know, the, 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 the settlement is a very dangerous place. I remember when I was first going there and I was, you know, I can tell people where I was going. So I was looking it up on the internet and going, Oh, 10 people murdered overnight, you know. I couldn't tell anyone where I was going because they wouldn't have let me go. You know? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a, it's a dangerous place to be out at yeah. night. And um, so here's these women having to come to the clinic in the dark because none of them have vehicles and they'd be walking, you know, they don't have a torch. And, and one particular night a young woman gave birth only about, 200 metres from the clinic, but she gave birth into the dirt and it rolled away and she had to kind of feel the cord to gather the baby back. And, and I was like, that's it, we're buying a car. So we can now we have a car. In fact, one of my daughters had started raising some money to buy blankets because she was 16 at the time and I had told her about a 16-year-old that had come in having a baby who had no home, no, not even a blanket. And she went, how much would a blanket cost? I went, $5. She went, I'm going to raise money for blankets. Cute. So she started raising money for blankets and then it grew and we ended up just expanding it into having money for a car. Yes. I think it was 2014. Yeah. No, before that even. I don't know. Somewhere there we bought a car and uh, now there's two vehicles. Amazing. um, to run people back and forward to So would home. the women who were, say, for example, the 16-year-old or the one with the baby that rolled away in the dirt, would she be able to call you somehow from where she lives? Like are there pay phones or something like that? They do have mobile phones. Random. Yeah. Okay, cool. So they could call you on that. I think how that's an indication credit? of how much money you can make out of um, mobile, like the, the companies must make from mobile phones. Because <laughs> yeah. I remember reading once. Only, I think it was 40% of Kenyans had access to a, a, a flush toilet, but 97% had a mobile phone. Weird. Um, Imagine them just looking at like our Instagrams and stuff and being I know. It's beyond. Uh, I know. That, they would just be like, what the heck? Yeah. What's this other world? At that point, they would just, you know, text or call. Yeah. But now, I, I'm like, my feeling is sadly, but. They probably don't think so. It, 
they're all picture phones and they're all looking at their phones instead of, you know, like Crazy. same as us in that regard. But the phone calls are very, very cheap because, yeah. you know, if you buy a bottle of Coca-Cola over there, it's 10 cents, which wow. means the company can make it for 10 cents. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We might. <laughs> <laughs> Crack up. Yeah, so the phone call might be one cent for a minute rather yes. than, you know, yeah. Money. The company's still making money. You exactly. Your life on it. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, so we do. So they can call you phones. and you can go pick yeah. them up. That's great. And so we might send health information out via those phone yeah. calls or reminders about their visits. Or yeah. And we also do postnatal visits, which is I'm not aware of it being done anywhere else. Um, Over there in Kenya or wow. Anything. Um, so checking on them after their birth, checking on feeding and all that sort of thing, and just keeping that community spirit. Yeah. Um, so what are the most recent things we're like wanting to buy for the clinic or or is making the range? There's always things like, um, you know, IV fluids and stock gloves, 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 very expensive masks and yeah. Shields, face shields, because, of yeah. course, COVID has been a big issue. Yeah. Um, particularly because those in the local community, you know, they work in the day, they might earn a dollar, and then they spend that dollar to buy food. So suddenly they were under lockdown. They had no food. So we get people coming in that haven't eaten for some time but also can't earn any money. So that's shifted a bit again now. They're out working again, but initially, um, so money was a bit tighter than usual because mm. we would have, you know, very small amounts of money mm. for, by our standards, exchanging hands. So it might be 20 cents, 20 cents, dollar, 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 but money did come into the clinic. So it helped yeah. in, in buying supplies and that sort of yeah. thing. But even with that, you know, if we need a new incinerator, that's not going to be paid for out of yeah. the few cents here and there. No, no. Or a water tank or, yeah. you know, all that sort of thing. So, um, I mean, I've got a couple of people who just give me 10 bucks a week and it's amazing. It adds up. and Absolutely. You know, something happens and I go, okay, I'll send it to you. you That's know, a huge I, impact. adds up. Um, yeah. So it's great. And I know your, your own organisation, you know, puts part of your profit in. Yeah. And if you were to take that amount and try to go to the shops here. <laughs> it would be fuck all. Nothing. Yeah. But it adds up. Makes a huge difference, um, yeah. You know, and if people would like to, firstly, look at the clinic itself, Fremo Medical and Birth Centre. It's it's under that name on, on Facebook. Yeah. Um, my own, not that I've written in it for some time, but my own blog yes and i love that you've got some great stories on there talking about the development of the clinic and that definitely and i will write something soon it's been a few years (laughs) so what's that called again so that's vicky hyphen chan at blogspot.com cool um and there's a variety of ways that people can um donate it's not a charity we did try early in the piece to get charity status in australia and all it did was cost money and didn't get, you know, so 
It's yeah. Very, I mean, I'm lucky, you know, with people who know me and trust me and just go, yep. So it goes flick into it the bank account and I flick it over. Yeah. Um, there was, I was using an app called World Remit. Yeah. That was amazing. That's what I use for Moffat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a fantastic, but my bank doesn't use it anymore. Ah. So at the moment I'm having to send it by international bank transfer, which yeah. costs both of us. Yeah. So I just throw in extra to cover the cost yeah. of, but I'd much rather that money was in their pocket. Yeah. But World Remit, you can send it $500, cost you $1.99. Yes. Done. It's yeah. Like fantastic. So, you know, there's PayPal, there's... Um, I think you said PayPal's not working anymore. Well, there's... I've, Your I've PayPal. got that as, as cool. my PayPal and I don't Perfect. use it other than... Yeah, free money over there. Um, in Kenya, or you know, if there's Kenyans use this money transfer, and it's this brilliant thing where that you can just send money from your phone to someone else's just with the yeah, uh, let's say that's an Mpesa um, thing. That's what I use. Um, but it's all I've only just this week put it all because some of the things was a bit outdated, so I've put it all on the on the Facebook page. If Great. You scroll down the page, it's all there. Good. And we'll put it all in the little show notes for the yeah, podcast. Yay. But, um, yeah. Look, even 10 bucks will buy a box of gloves. and Huge and, difference. And gloves, if you prevent a transfer of an infection, you've saved a lot. You know, it's that yes. simple. Yes. You know, exactly. Um, Anything anyone can do. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the most amazing bunch of people that I've ever encountered in my life. When do you reckon you're going to get back there? I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. 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 Hopefully so. I don't think it'll be in a big hurry. Yeah. I mean, the skies are open again, but um, the Kenyans have done quite, you know, relatively well in um, the COVID pandemic. Mm. You know, that they have seemed to have a bit more resistance than... um, Mm. others which is great I mean there's still been a lot of death and and whatever but you know they've come through it better than I mean I remember when it first happened I was just like oh my god they're gonna be decimated you know like I was so but they've not done too badly um but yeah I'm not much used to them if I go down yeah (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I just have to be careful. Exactly. To myself as well. Definitely. Definitely. Amazing. Which oh, we all have to do. We do all <laughs> have to do. We're not good at it, but yes. we do have to take more notice and take care of ourselves as, That's right. as well as others. That's right. That's right. Oh, well, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast, Vicky. Really My appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, although I might say differently when I listen back to it. Yeah. <laughs> But it was fun. Good I fun. it was there. <laughs> yeah. And that's a wrap to our podcast with the amazing Vicky. I am so, so stoked I was able to share her knowledge and wisdom with you. And I cannot wait to get these little reels up of her showing me all the jiggle moves that we're talking about in labor. So look out for those ones. Head on over to my Instagram at Appetence Families, A-P-P-E-T-E-N-C-E to check it all out. And if you enjoy this podcast, I would love to see in the form of a five-star written review. Have a great rest of your day.